Hey, Mixed Motherhood Pod fans. Please note that this week's episode has a brief discussion about pregnancy loss. If you would rather not listen to this part of the conversation, we've provided the timestamps in the show notes so you can skip right past it. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Christine. Start naming out people. They're actually doing really well this year. Like the Zimbabwe cricket team? Yeah. They beat Australia. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our Mixed Motherhood podcast. I am here today. I am Cookie, and I'm here with Nanai, and we have a special guest, Christine, today. Hi. How are you both? (laughs) Good. How are you doing? Good. It's a nice, cool day here in Kelowna, and I'm appreciating the coolness versus the smoke and hotness that usually happens here. So I do not miss that. The fall. (laughs) Loving. Exactly. It's funny. (laughs) Kelowna is like a switch turning kind of place where it's like really hot, and then all of a sudden the switch turns, and then it's like fall, then the switch turns, and it's winter. There's hardly Mm -hmm. like a a weird, you know, like some days are hot, some days are like now it feels like we're in that point where it's just going to be cool until it's cold. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, here in Edmonton at this point now, we have to, you leave the house in the morning and you're very heavy coat. By the mid-afternoon, you're like, okay, I can do a sweater. By late day, you're like, can I take all of my clothes off? Because I'm burning to death. <laughs> so you have to go with everything. Snow boots at the beginning, and then you're in your flip-flops by five o'clock. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh. I say that the Maritimes is like that steady um, boyfriend that you had when you were younger. You always know what to expect no surprises you know you wake up you know what the temperature is going to be like for the whole day that's my analogy for the weather here very predictable for this time of year anyway um so christine tell us a little bit about yourself Well, I have been living here in Kelowna since 2013, after the birth of my baby. Prior to that, I was, uh, if we go way, way back, I was born in Ontario. So I spent most of my life living outside Toronto in what is now probably greater Toronto, but back then it was Mm -hmm. like farmer's fields. And then I decided when I went to university, I wanted to move to the Maritimes because I wanted to be a marine biologist. Like I'd seen on TV, I was one of those people. So I moved to Halifax, loved it, but then just something in me said, you need to move. So I went to Vancouver and then eventually settled here in Kelowna. So that's kind of the start to finish Mm -hmm. of where I'm at. Yeah. So you've been pretty much bi-coastal, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've lived in the middle and I've lived on the two sides. So uh, prairies and the north, I will eventually get to you, I guess, but uh, not not right (laughs) now. And I'm sure my husband would be very upset with the north. No, even the prairies. A little too cold (laughs) for someone from a hot weather country. So where is he from? Uh, From India, from uh, Punjab in India. Okay. And you have one child? Yes, we have one daughter. Her name is Simran, and she is going to be 10 years old in about two weeks. That's exciting. Entering into the preteen. It's a tough time. Like, she's excited to be a tween. Like, we're in that, like, tween phase, the double digits, and she's excited. Me, not so much. But, like, most girls I find at that age, she's, like, you know, 10 going on 25. So Yes. uh, Yes. I have a six-year-old who's... (laughs) basically ready to get her own mortgage and you know 
travel the world. Exactly. When they're all YouTube stars or TikTok stars oh, or whatever yeah. the new yes. thing is now, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Remember when we used to want to be like, you know, I don't know, a teacher or a doctor. And now it's like YouTube star, singer, yes. fashion model. And you're like, okay. Or, no. yeah, Imagine thinking about being famous on short clip videos. Like it's just, oh, it's so different. I find in my job often when I'm talking to students about, you know, just careers and career choices, it's yeah. So such a different conversation than I had when I was kind of in university yeah. because it's just the things they may want to do or it's, it's just completely, you know, who knows what's going to be around in five years. And there's salary expectations too, oh. I'm sure. are Wild. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If, if I, sometimes I think, man, if you knew how much I made coming out of university, you would weep. I don't even know how I survived sometimes. <laughs> I know. Or thinking back to like my very first job, you know, when I was probably 14 or 15, you know, and I think I was making $4 and 25 cents an hour. Oh my goodness. Like imagine really? that like $4, like I, I get, I was probably like, you know, 13, 14 or four, whatever it was. So oh, four twenty-five is... an hour seemed like a jackpot to me. <laughs> but when you look back and think like, wow, they were really like <laughs> saving costs on wages if they're paying people $4 or 25 cents. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, That's true. Like even the babysitters that come and leave their very cute little business cards um, in the mailbox. I am always shocked that they charge so little. I'm like, you need to have higher expectations for your salary. Not un, un, you know, unrealistic expectations, but at least close to minimum wage. Has yeah. your oldest cookie yeah. thought about babysitting? Or is she not there yet? She has, but uh, she has. But right now, like she just has her sibling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Be your husband, Christine. Oh, it was such a millennial way, even though I'm not a millennial. Uh, it was online dating. E-harmony oh. for the win. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. E-harmony. E e yep. I was, I just moved to Vancouver and so I didn't know anybody. And so I kind of thought like as a single person in Vancouver who was not like young, I wasn't young at the time. And so I thought, how am I supposed to meet people in this city? And I thought, you know what, like here it is online dating. So yeah. mm -hmm. let's hit it. And so I, I went with the paid stuff versus like the plenty of fishes or the other free things where, you know, it seemed a little fishy, uh, no pun intended to me. I wanted <laughs> yeah, like the something... wild west. Exactly. I wanted something where there's a little more structure and I felt people who were paying for a service were probably going to be a little more into it. So, um, mm -hmm. so it was good because it gave me a chance to kind of, um, we went through a lot, uh, like before we actually even met as far as like talking about expectations. I think that's the other really interesting thing about site like eHarmony is like, you can go in there and just be like, this is, you know, like I'm looking for this. And if you're not, then we're not a match. And so let's mm -hmm. start into the conversation right away. So um, I felt that was really helpful. And I think culturally for him, you know, he was the first of his family to be now involved in a love marriage versus his siblings had all been in arranged marriages. Wow. So for him, he still needs needed some structure, right? Like he wasn't yes. just going to start dating. Like for him, that was very uncomfortable. And so this at least gave him an opportunity to get to know me the same way that I imagine right. if, if you were in India, your family would be vetting people for you. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I think it was really scary for him to, to kind of be putting himself out there. Cause like I say, I mean, he just moved to Canada 
uh, in 2008, and this would have been mm-hmm. in 2000 and like late 2010, 2011. So he was also very new to the country as well. So wow. have you been to India yourself? Yes, we went once after my daughter was born uh, because we tried to get his family here for the wedding, but we could not get visas for them. They, the government wouldn't issue them visas. They all got refused. So we were pr- pretty disappointed, um, yeah. but thought, okay, let's wait until then the birth of our daughter and then we would go to India. So we went when she was eight months old and I was on that leave. So it meant that it was really easy for me to spend a month there as opposed to just going and dipping in for a quick holiday because India is not a quick holiday place. Like you need to spend time. (laughs) Um, And there's lots of family to see, obviously. So everyone wants to see this daughter. You know, my husband was the firstborn son in his like, you know, kind of for his parents. And so there's all that responsibility on him as well. We did have a daughter. There was a lot of people who were not exactly excited about that. It's funny when you're pregnant, how many people just assume it's going to be a son. And like, I don't know whether they feel like they can will it into existence, but they just say like, oh, we can't wait to meet your son. We can't wait to meet your son. And we knew the whole time it was a girl, but you know, we didn't want to say anything and because we didn't want to disappoint people because then when she's born, you can't be disappointed with a beautiful baby, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit different, you know, but he was always, he was excited for a girl. He, he was always excited to have a daughter. Oh, that's good. Did you guys have a wedding there or was it more just meeting the family? No, it was just meeting the family. We had our wedding here in Surrey. Um, His sister did come up. She lives in California. So she was able Mm -hmm. to come up and help us through all of the traditions because he wasn't super helpful as someone who probably (laughs) attended lots of weddings, but he didn't really like know the rules and there's a lot of rules. And so his sister was such a huge help and my family was able to come. So that was nice. So they had to learn, like we all had to learn a lot about how we were going to get married and, um, yeah, it was really fun. Um, mm-hmm. When we went in the summer to India, my brother-in-law was getting married. So we got to see a wedding in India with like all of the things. But ours was a pared down version of that. So has so his family you- been able to come at all since then? Yeah. So his parents came when Simran was about three. Um, They stayed for a year. So we were able to get them a super visa finally. So they did come and stay for a year. So they have been able to, or were able to see her since. And his father is actually going to be coming this October to stay for a few months. Mandy recently lost his mother last year. And so like his dad's going to come and they're going to do like a more traditional, um, type of funeral you know like just a a, a goodbye yeah. to her the sister's gonna come up because uh-huh. he can't it's it's just not as easy for him to get to india he's got to work and yeah so for sure the dad can come so yeah. so yeah so it's gonna be nice to see all the family this christmas yeah. you know and and yeah. i guess i get to introduce christmas to them because that's not something obviously they celebrate being in the Sikh community mm-hmm. so yeah so it'll be it'll be interesting although i think christmas is fairly ubiquitous people yeah. just like presents so i don't know <laughs> duration of Christmas. Exactly, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. So how did your family welcome the news that you and Mandeep were getting married and, and having a baby and doing all of this? 
Yeah, I think they were a little surprised because I have always been kind of like moving around. And like I say, I wasn't kind of a young kid when when I was getting married and it happened very fast. Like we kind of got like swept up in a in a moment. Um, well, I did. I think for him, again, with the arranged marriages, like he's used to a very short turnaround, whereas traditionally here, it's like we've been dating for five years and he still won't propose. Um, and so I, um, you know, I found it to be very quick. But they, you know, my mother has always been of the frame of mind, like, as long as my kids are happy, I'm happy. So, you know, they're very supportive. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting for them. And they got a chance when his parents were down to meet them. And so I, I think mm -hmm. they're open to it. It's a little bit, um, yeah, it was new, but hey, yes. new things. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Dogs had a real good chance to be a part of both cultures, hey? Yeah, like I think it's really good for, you know, like it's it, as long as you embrace it, like I think so many people in his family were really surprised that I was embracing like his traditions and I was learning how to cook traditional food. And I think they were just so shocked that somebody would not try and, you know, kind of steer him away from that, but mm -hmm. instead like embrace it. And I thought like, why wouldn't you like you miss out on so much if you're if you're mm -hmm. not you know, kind of taking it all in. And, and I've, I've learned so much from them and, and they've been, you know, his family's been great and welcoming. And, and so, no, I, I think it's been a crazy, amazing learning experience. And, and I mean, it still continues to be because, mm -hmm. you know, new things happen all the time. And it's like, oh, didn't you know you were supposed to do that? And it's like, nope, no idea. Like <laughs> some things I do, some things I don't, like there are some traditions where you don't eat for a whole day to, you know, pay respects to your husband yeah. and for his good health in life. And, you know, I did that one time. And then after that, I was like, well, wait, this is that's a thing. Yeah. It's that's a thing. Like there's a day. Yeah. There's a day where you don't eat from like sun up till sundown or like when the moon comes up or I can't remember. I think it's when the moon comes up, like when you can see the moon, then you can eat again, but it's a way of like uh, honoring your husband and, and wishing him well and good, like long life. That is very cool. What yeah. was it like being in Vancouver? Because I've heard that Vancouver is the friendliest, loneliest city. When you talked about like going to an app, like how long were you on the apps before you found love? Yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't a too long because I think, again, I was pretty focused. Like I kind of knew what I was looking for, not the person, but just that I was looking for something serious at this point in right. my life. And yeah, and Vancouver's a great city in that there's so much to do. And, you know, you walk around and there's always something on the go. But it also feels like when you're new, it's just you're not a part of it all, you know, like you're somehow an outsider. And and so it was it was kind of especially coming from like a small city like Halifax which to me felt pretty big when I was there but then you go to Vancouver and you're like oh my gosh uh yeah. so different so Halifax is tiny um and so I you know going there it was it now was, yeah. for us in the Maritimes Halifax is our it's, New York okay exactly yeah. it's the it's the largest city east of Montreal yes <laughs> so it is so it is, it is pretty big good. Yeah, exactly. And I loved it and still love it. And oftentimes we'll look at real estate listings like, why am I living here? It's so expensive. I could buy four houses for what you pay for. Oh, it's here. expensive now. <laughs> but Halifax it's getting, is expensive. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You have to move yeah. further and further away. It's so sad. Uh, yeah. Cape Breton, here I come. Um, but yeah, so it's... Uh, <laughs> 
it's one of those things where I, I was probably, it was probably like six or seven months, I think, um, you know, but, but again, when, when you're focused, I, I think you can get a lot done. <laughs> so, yeah, I think yeah. it's different. I would like to, I've never lived in Vancouver, never been to Vancouver, but I'd like to think that when you're young and go to Vancouver, it's easy for you to make connections and friends um, because that's the life you're leading, right? You're kind of in that space. But when you're older, you're working, you've got your life that you've got things that you want to do. It's incredibly difficult to, I, that's what I'd imagine for sure. Yeah. Well, no. just the cost, you have to work harder to be able to get ahead yes. further. Yes. So yes. you don't really have time to be like, you know, going to a six hour brunch on the weekend no. because you're yeah working exactly no and i was still kind of tied to the maritimes because i was actually working as a recruiter uh for a like university in halifax in vancouver so i was permanently in vancouver doing recruitment so like my whole team and everything was in halifax and so i was like a lone kind of human Mm -hmm. in vancouver and traveling around to high schools and going to edmonton and calgary because i was kind of looking after the whole west coast and and Mm -hmm. into the western provinces and so it's just yeah it was it was impossible you know because when i was home i was just home for a minute and then i'd be off somewhere else and traveling here and there and so it it was just Oh, it was just so difficult. And so it's like you were a pilot. I imagine it's hard to find love when you're a pilot, but maybe not. I don't know. Well, maybe you <laughs> if you're a pilot, pilot and you have mixed race children, come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pilot's got a little cachet. University recruiter doesn't sound quite as cool as airline pilot. So yeah. For your daughter, um, do you find that she embraces both? Like, do you find that she takes on both cultures or more of one, less of the other, or like? just well-rounded. Yeah, I th- I would say she's fairly well-rounded, but I would say like we d- I definitely make a point of trying as much as I can to really give her that the the more Indian culture only because she's always surrounded mm-hmm. by Canadian culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's immersed in it in her life and, you know, Kelowna, although, you know, um, trying to become more diverse is still not very diverse. And so, but the one lovely thing that we have is she's in a school in Kelowna that is very diverse. Like I think in her mm-hmm. class, in, she's probably, I think last year there was maybe six kids who you know were kind of identifying as as white or caucasian and then the rest so many from like india there were students from asia um you know syrian refugees like it just was an area in Kelowna that tends to be more diverse Mm -hmm. and so she in school tends to get a really good mix of of students and doesn't kind of have that uh traditional you know oh my gosh i'm the only one in my class who looks like me mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. feeling which i know you know if you go to different schools around Kelowna, you definitely will find that but um so she's always been kind of pretty immersed in it but i i try and make a point my only kind of biggest regret is that she never really picked up the language because i mm-hmm. couldn't teach her and my husband just didn't I don't know. He just wasn't engaged in teaching her. He's not, you know, I, I don't think he sees himself necessarily as a teacher. I think he was hoping she'd mm-hmm. somehow pick it up via osmosis. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, you know, and now she's, it is harder. Resistant. It's harder. And she's, she's a little resistant, I think, because, yes. you know, and in, in the, the classes to learn Punjabi here, most of the kids already speak it. Yeah. So they're just learning mm-hmm. to read and write. And so she's coming in and there's four-year-olds who are speaking it and she can't. And I, 
think yeah. she feels, you know, she's a firstborn child and she's an only child. And so she's very, you know, headstrong. So if she can't do it right off the hop, it's really hard to convince her that it's worth doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, in our first episode, we kind of talked about like how it can be hard to teach your child your language if you're not surrounded yes. by other people who can reinforce it because it's it's quite a burden to be a speaking the language all the time and you know trying to reinforce it when it's just you mm -hmm. and that's something that i found when i lived in kona not very many zimbabweans there so there's it's it's even harder for your kids to learn if you yourself find it exhausting perspective too like he can speak to people when he needs to speak to them he'll speak to them but I'm my assumption is at work it's English all day mm -hmm. right um he comes home he's got to speak English and that's really so for him to then go okay I gotta get home and switch and start to talk to her and I find that's for me all day it's English all day by default not by anybody's fault but by default right um and in as much as I would want to talk to my children in Shana and speak to them all the time when they go to school who are they talking to? Yeah. And the only person they'd be talking yeah. to is me. So yeah, it's kind of tough, but like, I, I wish they would learn by osmosis. I think your husband's on the right path. <laughs> I know. It'd be so nice if they just heard it. You know, if you watched enough Bollywood movies, you'd just pick up Hindi, you know, like just like that. But, but yeah. Right? Yeah. And when she was wow. in my, like, I remember when she was in my belly, she used to love when we'd watch Bollywood movies, like she loved Punjabi and oh. Hindi music. Like she'd just like bebop around in there like a maniac. And uh, <laughs> even afterwards, it was the music that she identified with the most when she was younger. Like now that mm -hmm. she's older, she tends to like the, you know, whatever's on the Spotify, you know, viral hits 2022 list, you know, lots of Lizzo going around our house. These yes. days. But like previously, we love that, Lizzo. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> good though. I don't even mind, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting an education myself because you know, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it was really funny how, when she was really little, it was like all Punjabi music all the time. Like we had a CD that would get rotated and I always thought it was really funny because a lot of my friends were like, Oh, if I have to listen to Sharon Lois and Bram another moment, or I have to listen to frozen soundtrack again. And I was like, I'm listening to like Punjabi songs all day. So I'm happy. Like I'm bebopping in my car. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm not listening to the wheels of the bus turning off over and over oh again. Goodness. So I was pretty excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you talk a little bit about some of that, um, those uh, feelings of duality that Simran has or um, that maybe us as parents have that we project on our children or not project on our children but have you noticed other ways that her dual culture or her dual identity kind of manifests itself I mean it's uh, yeah it's really interesting I think she does very much identity because she's like, if you look at her, you like everyone around sees a, a, an Indian girl. They don't like if they didn't know that I was in the picture. And in fact, when she was a baby, I was the nanny because nobody believed that she was my child because she looks so much like her father. Like, I remember when they pulled her out and put her on my chest, you know, and I was like, I thought I was looking at him like it was scary because she looks so much like him and his family. And so, you know, I feel like she very firmly feels like she is Indian living in Canada for sure. And kind of all of that. But, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting because she'll, 
yeah, she says the funniest things, but I don't often think that she identifies closely with her family in India. Like that's the thing because she doesn't know them all that well. Mm-hmm. She's taught like she, she struggles to talk to them because like her, her grandfather in India only speaks Punjabi. So she can say a few words to him and, you know, some of the other family members, like a few words, but kids on phones, like a lot of times they're like, hi wait 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 so i think she struggles with like feeling a part of a family in in india but i think here she definitely feels like she identifies as indian um but maybe not the same family connections her family connections are certainly more on my side with my brother here you know and his wife look after her in the afternoons after school she's got a cousin who's one year older than her um and Mm -hmm. so i think she definitely identifies more family as canadian but her own personal identity I think she definitely sees herself as more Indian in fact one time when she was really little she told me that she loves me even though I'm white she said I still love you even though you're white and I said thank you for that I I appreciate the love and support kids have a way of um, humbling you for whatever reason they just feel like they need to humble you sometimes yeah and I was like I'm sorry I you know I apologize I'm white I could I can't help it it's the way I was born but uh, but yeah it was so funny because I was like not often she's when she was a baby did she or younger I guess did she ever ask about why you looked so different to the rest of the family did she ever have questions like that not really no she just yeah she just seemed to be she was a happy kid just you know bopping around um it's only recently she started to you know again in that tween phase where now she's getting more like mm-hmm. quiet and sullen and you know, <laughs> yes. not Hiding not quite as uh, yeah exactly hanging out in a room a lot yeah exactly it's it used to be that i'd have to like run around and chase her because she'd be all over the place and now i know exactly where she is like she's always mm-hmm. yeah yeah talking to someone on a messenger or something like that so yeah but mm-hmm. no she's... how would you say you and your husband have kind of managed your parenting styles because i imagine the indian culture is not significantly different but somewhat different um, to how you would have been raised, say. Yeah, for sure. My husband was raised in like a, uh, with all of his like cousins, like they lived in a shared home. So there was a courtyard mm-hmm. and they all had kind of a floor in a house. So he was raised in a very communal home. And then for us now, there's three of us in our house, you know, and he's got no other family around. So he, our our styles are definitely different. Like he's used to kind of a more, tough love approach and I'm more of the softy with definite discipline tendencies. Um, So it is different because I tend to come at it with a more kind of let's bring her, help her understand what's going on. And he's like, these are the rules and this is the way it's going to be full stop, you know? So it's, it's definitely still something that we um, conflict on a little bit. Uh, Yeah. But I think in general, it's, um, we, we each have to give a bit and take a bit here and there because, you know, his style is valid. My style is valid yeah. and you got to respect both of them, but um, it's, it, it is what it is. Sometimes I wish he would be a little kind of less no nonsense, but that's, that's how he was raised yeah. and that's yes. how he's going to raise his daughter. So, yeah. I want to come back to that communal raising personally. I wish we could go back to that. I wish we could have that, that communal raising with the entire community is raising our children because everybody would have, I assume, the same mindset. 
So your daughter's behavior, my daughter's behavior, the nice daughter's behavior is going to be corrected by everybody. It's going to be reinforced by everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wish we had that. But it's just everybody's there and, uh, and no. I'm I'm 50-50 on that. And uh, there's a reason, like I have a lot of aunts and uncles. Like my grandfather has not had nine kids with his first wife, my grandmother, and then like another five or six with his second wife. And then on my dad's side, it's the same. It's like uh, five or six kids with his first wife, my grandmother, and then more kids. So there's, there's a lot of family and a lot of opinions <laughs> and a lot of different styles, which I love. It keeps things exciting. But I think that my, the way that I live my life, I've spent my entire adult life in Canada, right? I've never been an adult mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe. So the the way that I approach my life is very much from that like Canadian perspective. And I think that is very much in contrast with a lot of my family members because things that are not a big deal for me may be a huge deal for them and, and, and vice versa. So I think that there are elements of the culture that are great, that sense of community, that knowing that you can go to every auntie to get advice and you know get great advice knowing that everybody looks after each other knowing that what's mine is yours Mm -hmm. and what's yours is mine but i do like that i am a little bit far away from just that scrutiny um because it allows me to like basically explore a lot of things authentically and you know make mistakes and not have that pressure to raise my child that way and i think that there is a lot of opinions there are things that i haven't done I can't think of it. No, example. I agree. I agree with you. I think, but yeah, communal, uh, would I like communal living from the perspective of yeah. having help and support and like people to like look after my kid when I needed it for sure. But the more child care I, is expensive. Oh, it's so awful. But from the perspective of like, just the likelihood of me being able to work in that environment, right? Especially Mm -hmm. with my husband being the oldest, it would have been my responsibility to be looking after his parents and him and her. And so I probably wouldn't have been working if I was, it wouldn't be as much. And then I'd be responsible for cooking food for all of these people, like all of the time. I would just be like, he was telling me stories about his aunties getting up and it was just, you cook breakfast, then by the time everybody eats the 200 rotis that you've made, <laughs> then lunch starts because now you've got to make another 200 rotis, you know, it's, it, and I think, oh man, I, I yeah. appreciate my quiet and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my alone time when I, yes. you know, want to not engage. And so, yeah, but I would, I would love to have that family around though. And I also miss that because mm-hmm. my family's still in Ontario other than my brother. And it's just so nice to like, I know there's times where now that I have my daughter where I just wish she could spend way more time with all of the grandparents mm-hmm. and all, you know, cause yes. time with them is limited, you know, and, and I just wish that we could be closer to do that. But then I also know that, you know, it's just not in the cards for me to be in Ontario yeah. right now. So, you know, this it's is give it and is. take. There's some things that yeah. you uh, can appreciate about being where you are and, and where you're raising your children. And then there are other things that yeah. are not so great. And I feel like that's, totally one of them. So I want to talk a little bit about when you and your husband were uh, early on in your relationship, did you feel like you had to overcome any cultural differences either from you or any external external factors? 
I mean, there was, there was a lot to learn. And I, and I think that because I was willing to, it made things work a lot easier. I think if I had have been more resistant, um, yeah. likely more issues and challenges would have arisen. But mm-hmm. I think the biggest challenge for us was probably navigating the Canadian immigration system, yes. you know, through that kind of process where, you know, you have to like the things that you have to write to prove that you are in love with someone, you know, you have to write down the day they met your parents and what their reaction was. And like, it just, to me is so, I don't know. It's so, it's one of those things where as a, as a, you know, Canadian who grew up here my whole life, I had no idea and thought like, we are so welcoming to people from other cultures and places. Like that is who we are, you know, that is part of our value system. And then to then come into this marriage and then trying, you know, thinking about Mm -hmm. starting a family and all of that, where it was like, wow, we are not that um, welcoming. Like his parents can't even get here to come to our wedding for God's sakes. Like it just made no sense to me. And and for them to make us jump through so many hoops, like, you know, and it's an unfortunate situation that there's a lot of people, I guess, that abuse the system. I don't know, but for those of us who are using it in the way it was intended to be used, it, it really is like, that was our biggest challenge was just navigating navigating that whole process and and then having people say like oh are you just getting married to him because he wants to be a citizen of Canada it's like you know and you're kind of like oh please like I'm not a a child like I'm an adult like if I'm making this choice it's my choice that was probably the hardest thing when we were first kind of getting together was people thinking oh there's a nefarious purpose behind all of this like he's just looking to become a citizen and yet here we are 11 years later still married and it's like come on people that is crazy yeah like it's just so you know you just kind of think like you don't know anything about my relationship and so it's not your place to judge and we're excited to be starting our family and I was so excited that after our daughter was born she could come with us well you know when he got his citizenship here in Kelowna Mm pre-COVID so there was actually a ceremony and she was there with us and I think that's such a nice thing where like that family moment where it's like here we are we're all Canadian citizens together and when it's just it always kind of plays in the back of your mind where you're like ugh, people are so yes and I judgy. think that there's this big misconception that when you see an interracial couple and the one person is white like the, or maybe the person of color is seen as benefiting in some way by being with a white person yeah when could be furthest from the truth because it's mutual mutually beneficial and relationships real relationships are not built on that right so Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. it always frustrates me when people think oh you're you're so lucky to have this person or you're so lucky to be in this relationship well your immigration um papers must have been easier because yeah it's like do you think that's really where i'm at in my life like i really (laughs) this is my thing is i always feel like yes okay it's it would be a better option to be here. Absolutely. Maybe just bettering my life, but I still have a home to go to. So, which I'm blessed to say, because there's a lot of people who don't have a home to go yes. to if this was not an option for them. Right. And, but if we, for people to assume automatically, or oh, you have nowhere else to be. So you're very lucky to be here. And it's like, no, I, I could go home really. Um, thank you for assuming that this is the only option I have. Yeah, I tell it's... my husband all the time, you're lucky to have me. Think about yes. how your world has been enriched exactly. by 
knowing me and my family and my culture and knowing the experiences of people who have it very hard in life and just being able to have close proximity to that so that you can learn and grow. So it, it definitely is a thing that frustrates me a lot when people make that assumption. For sure. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, because you know he, you know he, he had to give up his citizenship to be here. Like, and and it's mm-hmm. funny because when I want to mm. go over there, it was so easy. Like, it was yes. not a problem. Like, I want you want to come to India. Like, we welcome you. It's not a problem. Come over here. We can get visas for you now. You know all these things, and it was so hard for him the other way. You know, and that was just exactly mm-hmm. opposite to how I thought everything was gonna be. You know, because you grow up thinking you're in this like very wonderful place that welcomes people and well, <laughs> like if you've got lots of money, if you've you know, like it's 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 yeah. Yeah, marriage isn't the easiest route to get to Canada. Like, it's much better to have money and lots of education. Like, that'll get you in a lot faster. Well, (laughs) sometimes not even money and education will get... And I mean, I work in immigration, so I've seen, like, the full spectrum. And I can tell you, like, this country, we bill ourselves and advertise ourselves as being very multicultural and diverse and very welcoming. But there are still many colonial or, or... systems left over from like a like colonial times that show that this is furthest from the truth and you know one of those things is our our immigration systems and how unwelcoming and how many hurdles people you know have to to go through had was just the expectation of I mean we only have one daughter um that's not uh super exciting for him he he wants more he wanted more children and um it just wasn't in the cards for us we had kind of two uh miscarriages one was an ectopic pregnancy the other was a miscarriage and so and then after that it just you know after the ectopic pregnancy it became very difficult and so we've kind of had to come to terms or he has i'm i'm i was always kind of in the mindset of one maybe two um but uh but he you know is really like i know it's hard for him and he always Mm -hmm. i think really wants more children because that's just culturally for him it's not usual to have one child i think it's becoming more common in countries like india especially with kind of that new kind of people coming on with more money and they just don't want to have the responsibility of a lot of children but but i think that was a big struggle it's still something that i think hurt hurts him a little bit that we weren't able to have more children but you know we've got one that we can focus our attention on and she needs yeah. a lot of attention yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah. but that was kind of a struggle for a bit because I, I think that was really oh, kind yeah. of disappointing to him yeah and it's understandable yeah. because coming from yeah. a family where he's got lots of siblings you can understand right it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, even in our culture, Cookie, like as soon as you, like literally as as you are dancing at the wedding, people are asking you, okay, so when are you going to make us aunties and uncles or like grandparents? And there is a lot of pressure there to not only have a child, but to have like lots of children, Multiple. right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's always hardest on the woman, obviously, because mm -hmm. especially if you feel like your body's letting you down, right. Mm -hmm. And like you, you have the opportunity and yet it's letting you down. And so mm -hmm. you can really get yourself into like a really bad place, right. Because, yeah. you know, you want to be able to fulfill these expectations, but you just physically can't. And even for us, like when we were trying at the beginning, it, it wasn't happening right away. Right. Same kind of thing mm -hmm. where it's like, you're married, let's get going on these kids. And so so that was his kind of thought process too. And so, you know, we were going and, and I mean, eventually, I think at my age at that time, uh, after six months, they're like, you really should see a fertility specialist. And I was like, oh my gosh, like fertility wow. specialist. Like, so I'd made the appointment and I was, I was on my way to go. Um, and she's like, but you have to go at this certain point in your cycle. And I said, okay, that's fine. Um, and it just turned out that I had to call her and say, I have to cancel my appointment because I just found out I'm pregnant. So oh, it was wow. really like crazy how, and I don't know whether it was like the relief of just kind of letting it go and thinking like, I have to give it up to a fertility specialist and we'll just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And that just, I don't know, switch something in my body chemically to, you know, relax and let it happen. But um, thankfully we were kind of got pregnant at that time and, and it was a, a healthy, wonderful, amazing pregnancy, except for mm -hmm. she didn't want to come out. Um, very typical of her personality now. I'm like, it's so funny how you're like, even now I'm like, this kid is insane. Like from when she was inside and, uh, and yeah, so, but, but it was hard then after that, not too long after then, you know, about, I don't know, maybe a year later was when we kind of had that mm -hmm. ectopic pregnancy. And then that, that kind of spelled the beginning of the end for babies, right? When you lose one of those, it's, it's hard to get back. Right. So anyway, but yeah, yeah. I know motherhood from right from the get is, ex you know, Right from being married without even having a child, you already start being a mother. And then it's, it's, well, yes. the expectation is that you're going to be a mother. And then the expectation for yourself is I'm going to be a mother. And then it's pressure on pressure on pressure and it's compounded. And then when it comes to the time, like you said, you feel like your body is, is letting you down. It's like, I should yes. be able to just do this. Why am I not doing this? Right. Um, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly humbling when I think about it. And I didn't have as many problems as a lot of people. And I didn't realize it was such a huge problem until I started to experience people. Well, people don't me. talk about it, right? No, there's this huge stigma about, having... yeah. And also I think from like, from our cultural perspective, before you even get to the scientific part of like, why can't you have a child? There's all this, you know, traditional stuff that needs to happen. Like, well, we need to go and pray to, you know, cleanse your body or to like let this happen and then when that doesn't work then you go to like a traditional healer and then it's like all of these additional steps or processes that need to be done that just compound the situation further and further and I think for a lot of people who are in the culture it it can be exhausting but it, mm -hmm. it's also like a, you lose your privacy because now everybody is talking about the fact that yep you're, you can't carry you can't have this child and you know people like random I had a friend who went through the exact same thing and random people were stopping her like her mom's friend saying hey I heard that you're uh, having a hard time having a baby I'm going to pray for you at church like somebody she just didn't know but who had heard the story and it's like you lose you can't even grieve for the life that you wish you could have had I find in your identity uh, if, well, not necessarily maybe you, but outside your identity. If you were heavily in that culture, I mean, your identity, uh, well, she couldn't have children, so 
it's like so then what so then what so what if you connect but mm-hmm. playing devil's advocate this has always been the thing you should you when you get married the next thing is children not that it's a bad thing but i think we also always need to start to learn to take a step back and go there are other things that might just be at play and that's okay yes she may not want to have children she may not be able to have children so let's be careful in how we address that conversation with our child um and i think that's something we have to be cognizant mm-hmm. of as parents now to say look and and also speak of your um of your journey trying to have a child christine speak of that journey to your child and say this was my journey so if you happen to end up in this situation it's not uncommon that it's something that may mm-hmm. carry down but have those conversations with your child instead of just saying oh well couldn't have a child they need to know that these things are possible and that these things happen and these things happen to someone very and close they're to common you. um yeah they're and common they, yeah and so um I think that's something like even our parents haven't even really had the conversation with us. I don't know if my mm-hmm. mother ever miscarried or anything. I know I have no idea. Um, I just assumed you just have a have a husband, have a baby. Somehow it yeah. works, right? Um, but nobody really explains that. No, there's so many medical situations that could be um, at play, and these are the things I had to deal with. So it's possibly going to be a journey that you're going to have to walk. I think it's important sure. that we definitely keep that conversation open. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I let Simran know because she often says like, you know, why didn't I have a, you know, a brother or sister? I don't mm-hmm. want one. She will often say, I don't want one. But, you know, did you know, and, and I did say, I said, well, there was two times where you could have possibly had a baby brother or sister, but it didn't work out as it happens. Like I had to go in and get surgery and, you know, mm-hmm. for the first one and the second one, it, it was, you know, it just never happened. And, and so she was like, okay, you know, like just kind of, you know, I don't know whether it's, you know, kids these days just get so much information thrown at them. She's mm, like, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. She just takes it like, mm-hmm, okay, that's normal. On with my day. Like, let's listen to more Lizzo. Um, so it's it's just really interesting <laughs> how she just like takes it. And again, she's young. So maybe as she gets older, yeah. like it'll have more meaning to her mm-hmm. when yes. she gets into a relationship at some point in the future, if she ever decides to have children of her own. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is kind of something that needs to be more normalized because it's, it, it happens so often and it's not a bad it. thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like she's heard she it. Abs- so it won't be yeah. un- unfamiliar, it won't be unfamiliar to, her. to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So in that vein, what advice would you give your younger self or somebody else who is in your shoes? Yeah. I think it's all about just being, open and and really like the the way to make it work is to really be open to all of the new things and the challenges that are going to come your way and know that it's not going to be easy like if you think like you go into it like it's some kind of fairy tale um it's really going to hit you in the face pretty quick that like mm-hmm. it sounds great to to be a part of a new culture and but then you have to realize that there's all kinds of things that like even when I, you know like when we went to india and, and people are looking at me because they may never have seen when mm-hmm. we're traveling in smaller villages like they may never have seen a a white person with really curly big old hair and thinking like wow that is such an you know and and if you go mm-hmm. into that thinking that people are just going to think it's amazing it, it it's not always the case you know like mm-hmm. you have to be ready for people to um sometimes question your motivations to sometimes wonder what the two of you see in each other because you're so different but yes. you have to really believe that why you made the choices and why you want to be in a relationship and work on this relationship 
with this other person is is worth it. But I mean, it's it's so enriching, and and I think mm-hmm. that you know if if people are wondering like, is it is you know it is going to be a challenge, but is it worth taking those steps? Like it a hundred percent is because it's it's amazing the things that you learn and the the things that have been opened you know, my eyes have been open to like, it. it's just incredible. And, and I just feel like now when I have conversations with people, you know, I, I have connections with people that I normally wouldn't have because mm-hmm. I may have visited where they lived or where they grew up, or I love to watch Bollywood movies. And when I talk to students about that, they first look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. Like, why would you be watching those movies? And it's like, well, it's part of what, you know, my family does. Like that is what yeah. my family does. And, and so it's, um, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's, it's a hundred percent worth it. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the work is worth it, but any relationship is work. This just brings with it a little more, I think reward because you get to yes. see a whole different thing that you wouldn't, if you were with someone kind of who is culturally, the same as you. So I I love cricket now, never would have watched it when I was, you know, (laughs) but, but now we watch it all the time and I understand it. So it's not just hockey in my house. In fact, we never watch hockey in my house. It's if there's a sport on a TV, it's cricket. Cricket. (laughs) I have a lot of Canadians ask like, what the heck is cricket? I'm like, just watch it. You might enjoy it. Like really well, they all think it's those like four day matches and it's like, no, no, there's this thing called the T20 and it's yes. so yes. exciting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Way better. It's like watching. Yeah. Like, uh, like not, not as exciting. It's like baseball. It's a little more like, you know, yes. but way more exciting yes. than baseball. Oh my gosh. They don't use mitts. They're, they're way more tough. They use their bare hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with this week's letter. (laughs) All right, welcome back, guys. Today we have a letter. Hi, ladies. My partner and I expecting our first child, a boy, in January next year. I'm Egyptian and moved to Canada 10 years ago, and my partner is Scottish and English, and he moved to Canada when he was 12. Everything has been great so far, except we can't seem to agree on a name for our child. My family is already not too pleased that my partner is not Muslim, but they are adamant that our son must have an Arabic name, and at least goes to Muslim school to learn about the Prophet and read and write Arabic when he's older. My husband understands the religious significance of going to more... um, of going to a Muslim school, but won't budge on on the name. He thinks that it would be better off to have a more generic Canadian name so that our son can avoid the prejudice that comes with a foreign sounding name. I know how hard it is for me to get ahead with my name, Hafsa, but I don't want my child to have a completely English name and don't want to disappoint my parents. What would you do? Well, Mm. I kind of agree with her husband. First of all, I two things. I think her husband being on board to let their child go to a more Muslim school. That's a huge, huge step in the right direction. Um, so I think the name, she needs to give in. She can give it give it to him as a second name. I think him giving up the whole, and letting him be raised basically Muslim when he himself, her husband is not Muslim. I think that's a huge compromise and she needs to give in with the name. I, this is tough because I have a first, I don't have a middle name, so I can't even, fall back on a middle name thanks mom and dad but i've had a hard time 
with my name and it was challenging when I still used my maiden name. Like it was very hard to pronounce. People would misgender me all the time. People automatically knew that I wasn't going to be a white person <laughs> just by my name. And I think that I lost out on a lot of opportunities because of that. It's sad to say, but I, I think it's it's true. But I have grown to have pride in my heritage and in my name. And, um, you know, I feel like I expect now people to ask me, how do I say your name? And I'm mm -hmm. ready with an answer. And now there's this thing on LinkedIn where you can like pronounce your name correctly. And then like people can click on your signature and they can hear how your name is pronounced and that sort of thing. And I mean, Christine, you're the careers expert here because this is what you do for a living. But I think more and more employers are now seeing past that, at least I, I hope so, than it, even five, 10 years ago. But what's your opinion? I want to hear this. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think there are more employers that are looking to kind of like understanding and appreciating the diversity of, you know, different cultures living here. Because again, this, this, this child, although they will have um, perhaps a Muslim name, you know, they're growing up in Canada. So they will yes. have all the Canadian experience that this employer is looking for. Perhaps they will, you know, have... Uh, have opportunities to just be who they are. And that name is, is a name. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, I, myself, my husband, when we were pregnant, he was like, if we have a girl, this is her name. And I was a little bit nervous because I thought, oh my goodness, like I've seen names sometimes from Indian culture and they're, they're quite difficult to pronounce. And I thought, what is my mm -hmm. family going to do? Thankfully he chose quite like his name was a very easy name and it was a beautiful name and I loved it. And so it, it kind of, when we were in that moment of like oh no what could I I was relieved that that it was a beautiful name so because I think a lot of times we 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 think we know the names right it's like it's going to yes. be one of these five names but there's lots of names that that I'm sure people in the Muslim culture would name their children so it's like like, look at that list together. Don't just make assumptions. Yes. Like, you know, maybe your husband needs to take a look at a, a bunch of different names and then they can agree on something that kind of meets in the middle for them. Like something that is beautiful. You know, like my husband, if we were going to have a boy, he wanted to call it, him Harmon. And I thought, oh, also a really nice I like name. That name. And yeah. I was like, it, it still has that Indian mm -hmm. flavor, but at the same time, it's easy to pronounce it. You know, people may be like, mm, this is different, but you know, maybe there's not that same judgment. So I, I would say like, just look at all the options first before he puts that foot down and says no. When I first started looking for a job, I started off by putting my name, Kudzai. And I found that I had a really hard time getting any calls. So this is back in 2011, 2012. And then I changed it. I put Natasha and still my last name is really long and difficult to pronounce for a lot of people. And I started to get more response. Now, obviously, then I do feel like people sometimes look at your name and they look at it in full. And immediately, if they can't read it in full, they shut down, which is fine. Um, but now I do find you're right. I do find a lot of people will ask me, Natasha, let's mm -hmm. go with that. So I go by Natasha in my professional world. I go by Natasha and like, you're right. I think there might be a few different names that she could bring up and see which ones he could, before he completely shuts the door, maybe try it a few different names. Well, sure. I did that when I was pregnant. I didn't know what I was having. Um, like the first time round, like I wanted it to be a surprise. So uh, the nice thing about Shana names is that most of them are unisex, right? You can use them yeah. for whatever. 
But I was adamant that I wanted my children to have a non-Canadian name because they were already going to have their father's last name. They were already mm-hmm. going to be born and raised in a Canadian place. I wanted something that would that they could at least identify as you know, having that African connection. And then what we agreed on, well, okay, I'll be real. We didn't agree on, this is what I, I asked for. <laughs> I was like, I'll take the, I'll do the, the, the first name. We can figure out like a French middle name for them. And then they'll have father's last name. And I wrote a list and I pronounced all of them. And he kind of said whether he liked them or not or whatever. And that's how we agreed on it. But in hindsight, probably wasn't fair um, for me to <laughs> railroad the the naming thing, especially given my own experiences with um, just having a name that is hard is generally hard to pronounce. But I, I agree with your husband, Christine, in just saying, "Look, this is what I want my child to have because I want that ident- I want them to have that identity." And now I can't imagine my children being named anything else and like but like I know that your children have some have traditional names and some like traditional Shana names and some of them have Canadian sounding names was it just that you just like the name or okay if I'm honest I had one Shana name in my bank that was all I had (laughs) (laughs) the first one got it everyone else that was it The other two, it was literally like I I just looked in books and then the third one, it was like the day of the day I gave birth to her is when we finally came up with the name. So like for me, the names didn't necessarily I knew for one thing, one one thing for sure. I was not naming my children after anybody. That was one thing for sure. For me, that was the big, big thing for me. I will not name my children after anybody. Um, but as for Shana names, I genuinely couldn't, I was a blank. I drew a blank and I just, one, I had it one and that was it. <laughs> Let's unpack that. So why were you not wanting to name them after anyone? Is it I just feel like it carries, you... it carries okay. a lot. I feel like you're carrying someone, like I would not want my children to name them after me. My children to name their children after me. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. I It carries a lot. I feel like then um, you hear a lot of, oh, you're a lot like your grandmother so-and-so. Like, no. Yes. No. From a spiritual sense and from a, from a Christian mm-hmm. perspective. For me, I, I struggle with that a lot. I don't want that. I wanted my children to be their own individual person and to mm-hmm. be who they are, not, you remind me of grandmother, blah, blah, blah. You know, she used to do that. Like, why? Why? She is who she is and she's not so-and-so, you know? Um, so I, for me, it was it was very, very important that I stuck to names that I didn't know anybody else had. And you also just went to school with like a million kudzais and a million tindais and like, yeah, you know, you just don't want to name your child and no offense to those names at all. It's just that they're, <laughs> because it's like Sarah and Emma and, yeah. you know, yeah. those Shout out kind to the of Britneys, all the Britneys yes. out there. <laughs> yeah. yes. It's like, you know, so many that you, there's a lot like your own experiences mostly negative ones are kind of like it's like teachers i don't even know how teachers manage to name their children because they've probably had the craziest (laughs) yeah 
I was given a list when I was pregnant because my mom was a teacher. My sister was a teacher. Oh, and they were like, these are the names that you are not able to use. We will not allow these names because of, and I won't name the names, but they were like, these are not the names you can name your child. And so I said, okay, good. Then this makes it so much easier because they yes. won't have a Canadian name. So we're, yeah. we're all going to be happy. Yeah, we're all going to be happy. <laughs> Yeah, it's That's funny good. because here my daughter's name is a different kind of name. But mm-hmm. if, if it was in India, she'd be one of many, many, yes. many. And even <laughs> again, similar with Indian names, they're very unisex. So I, oh. I met uh, somebody the other day, a, a, a boy from India, and his his name was the same as my daughter's. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So any last words of advice for, I think her name is Hafsa? Um, I think have a conversation, Hafsa. Keep keep talking, keep, maybe bring up some names, like Christine said, bring up some names, give him a list, show him what mm-hmm. your, where your thoughts are, um, and see, maybe he can pick a name that he, that's easier to pronounce according to him. And, uh, yeah. with that. Maybe there's a name that translates in both yeah. cultures. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hi, everybody. We are back with this week's news. So last year, a 16-year-old mixed-race boy from Prince Edward Island was subject uh, to some racial abuse during a hockey game where he was playing as goalie. It's alleged that some players from the opposing team, as well as members of the audience, used racial slurs, including the N-word, against him. Hockey PEI launched an investigation into the matter and just this week announced that they would be hiring an anti-racism educator. Uh, I think his name is Bradley Shepard. While many have praised this as a step in the right direction, many are asking whether this is enough uh, and how they can prevent uh, these types of things in the future to protect racialized children from racism, I think particularly in hockey. So ladies, what are your thoughts on this? Hockey is an interesting sport. Um, I think it's one of those sports that already is very, very tight-knit, extremely tight-knit. There's only about 600 people that can make it to the NHL. So I'm talking from any country, like so Canada, Russia, wherever Mm -hmm. they come from, 600 people. That's it. That's very, very small. I think it's a very, you have to have a certain type of personality or mindset to play hockey. This is by no means okay, by no means. PEI is also very small, right? Frankfurt, yeah, yeah, it's a small little place. But I think this educator needs to educate the parents. That's where it's got to start because that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. If you teach your child that the sky is black and you keep repeating that to them, the sky is black to them. They'll never know any different because that's all they know, right? Uh, until somebody corrects them. But it has to start with the parents. So if this educator is starting with the parents, because if this was also happening in the audience, it means that it's stemming from somewhere. Yeah, hockey is having a moment. Not a good one right now between no. the sexual assault stuff and this. I mean, I think they've really keyed in, and or people have been keying in a lot around that toxic masculinity piece. And I feel yes. like this is just another outlet for that toxic masculinity that is so pervasive in hockey right now in that Mm -hmm. it's, you know, because I mean, I'm thinking, you know, they're looking to get under the skin of the other players and the, 
they go to the most basic, yeah. awful, horrible things that you could say to that person. And so, you know, they might look at one person and say one awful thing and, and they're just going to pick the most obvious. And if, as mm -hmm. this is a person who looks different than, than a lot of other hockey players who are traditionally, you know, a big white um, game, um, it's, mm -hmm. it's just another way for them to assert that toxic masculine, you know, kind of attitude. And it's so pervasive and it's so yes. awful it, it, like one educator great but i mean there needs to be an entire breakdown of this system an overhaul of the system yeah oh my gosh it is so awful like if you've ever been in the stands for a, like these kids are playing hockey and the things that these parents are saying it is absolutely ridiculous mm. like oh, oh yeah. it's so awful like it's awful well, I think that with hockey too, there is this perception. I mean, I don't know anything about hockey. And for our listeners who don't live in Canada, hockey is our religion here, I guess. Um, but it ice is hockey. a, yeah, ice hockey. It's, it is a very white presenting sport. I think the majority of people who buy into this, uh, this game, into the sport are white. They tend to have the financial resources um to be able to invest in all of the equipment all of the training and travel you know and coaching that is needed to get into the game because they're trying to raise the next you know crosby or gretzky and those are the two hockey players that i know <laughs> i was wondering who you were gonna say i'm like oh i can't wait to hear who's coming out of her mouth. oh uh, pk suban i think he's also go. he's like a he's like a black hockey player um my husband doesn't watch hockey really um too so we're not really a hockey house but uh, i think that there is a lot of because of this outwardly white image that hockey has there is this subculture where it's mm -hmm. almost unexpected if somebody who does not look like that is part of the game and like you said christine part of playing and being an inspect uh, being a spectator in hockey is getting under people's skin and it's unfortunate that some people take it too far <laughs> and then reveal their in a racist selves in in the process and i think that what needs to be done is a culture shift so not just to have this uh, anti-racism educator come in and talk to everybody involved but i think the whole image of the sport needs to change if they want it to be more welcoming otherwise you know fewer people of color are going to want to take part in the sport because it's it's not safe. And I mean, as a parent, if that was my child, I would just be beyond, you know, the fact that people could hear it coming from the audience, from the, the, mm -hmm. the ice and nothing was done, um, you know, in that moment, it, it just floors me that not one person would have, you know, said, said Hey, I think these are kids. These are kids. Sorry. Go ahead. Cookie. I think the the subculture in hockey that is very the aggressive because outside of the racism, um, hockey is very very aggressive, and parents are not the greatest um, because they get aggressive, and um, you can see you see so if hockey in itself is an aggressive sport, um, and you see a lot of parents in the stands if you watch if you look up videos, um, they fighting. 
they're arguing outside of the whole racism thing. They are just, it's just very aggressive. And I don't know. And there's been much talk around it in how to discipline the parents as, you know, for lack of a better term, um, to let them, to show them that the way you behave and your son or, or daughter is seeing that, they think that's mm-hmm. okay. And that's not okay because that's not the game that they want. So those conversations are happening um, and it starts at a, at a lower level and it has to start at a lower level before they get to being adults. Because by the time you get to adults and you're playing the NHL, it's too late to now start to try and wrap your head around that. Um, P.K. Subban did uh, suffer... Or not so oh hard. my gosh, yes. Lots of experienced a lot of racism. But he is a really good hockey player. And I think there's parts of that. So there's two two cadences there. They recognize that he's an extremely, extremely great player. And he's not there because, you know, we need a token. He is a really good hockey player. And so people mm-hmm. tr- struggle with that. It's like, okay, but he's a person of color. But he's really good at hockey. So he's part of that 600. Like 600 is, a, is not a lot of people. It's not a lot of people. So for him to even get to that level, he must have really put himself out there. But even though he experienced the racism and all of that, he needs to put more of his voice out there, I think, to talk a lot more about the racism and how to bring that down. A little but bit I think this, this instance shows that it's really not a safe space to have those types of conversations, especially oh, okay. when you... Yeah. you you read, um, you know, that it was at CBC who broke the story of, you know, all this sexual assault allegations that are happening with players. I, I, I really do think that somebody just kind of co- needs to come in and do like a, a dry cleaning <laughs> of the entire uh, sport. And we need to rethink how we how we behave as spectators and what is acceptable in the world today, because the argument is we've always done this in hockey. This is what the the culture is about. Like you have to have a tough skin. You have to, you know, stand up for yourself. And I know that goalies face a lot of the abuse uh, on the ice. I I really feel for this kid. And the fact that he was a child, like Mm -hmm. these are children that we're talking about. It's not like somebody in the NHL. Yeah. I don't know no and you know my husband is from pei people from pei are wonderful people um you know they're just like the the sweetest kindest people but this kind of behavior is just not acceptable at all and as a parent it's it's your worst nightmare that your child is going to experience something Mm -hmm. like this yeah well and especially if they're mixed race as well because then it makes them feel shame about a Mm -hmm. part of themselves because they still Mm -hmm. like in their head they are both right like maybe you know and so it really makes you kind of doubt that other part of you which you should be proud of and that should bring all kinds of great things to the table but now you're going to try and hide it any way you can and if you are a mixed mixed child who can easily pass as you know maybe as a lighter skinned or whatever like maybe then Mm -hmm. you start really focusing on that piece of yourself because if i want to be a success in hockey i've got to be as white as possible so i'm going to absolutely like discount this whole other piece of myself and that shame must be just awful like if you're trying Mm. again you're a kid like these are not things that you should be grappling with you should just be out there playing hockey having fun because that's what it really is supposed Mm -hmm. to be about Mm -hmm. at that age like it's about fun like isn't that what we want like but you just even observing parents watching their kids learn to skate, they're super 
involved yeah. in very you intense. know they're like yelling things from the sideline you have like this <laughs> four-year-old trying to just get steady on the ice it and they you can even hear the conversations of like oh yeah your your kids got good form like they're on their way they're on their way to good things and that's where it starts that that expectation that oh man i'm going to invest in the next great hockey star yeah, or the next uh, skater challenge yeah and i mean you just gotta let your kids lead lead you in that direction i think you can be a supportive loving parent without like being racist <laughs> i used to watch hockey a lot and a few years ago there was a guy in the states a black guy and um he posted that he was like you white people have been hiding hockey from us he was like this this sport is phenomenal and he was to and he was like commentating as he was watching and he was talking about the players and he was getting so so excited about it um i can't remember the team i think it might have been the, i can't remember the team i don't want to misquote the team but um they caught wind of it and they brought him almost a whole season of tickets and he got to go watch them and and follow them it was freaking incredible because he was just like where's the sport been like this is crazy and they're checking each other and he's getting so wrapped up in it and then they followed him and videos of him at the games and he was just wild loved it i thought it was fun but anyway that's what i mean on a good note hockey's not all bad sometimes it's fun no it's true yeah. and there's punjabi broadcasts on the cbc oh yes yes, yes. and he yes. is the best the commentator for that is so into it god love him i don't even understand yeah. what he's saying but i know what's happening i feel like and it's just yeah it's great so there there is places where it can be open you know it's just, yeah yeah, yeah. maybe the parents need to get a little more on board if you want to you know bet on that might as well just buy lottery tickets i feel like you've got a better chance of winning the lottery than your kid becoming an nhl player so or leave the yeah. negativity behind and just buy lottery tickets <laughs> or get your child on tiktok or get or youtube there you go <laughs> I feel like it's way easier for your chat to go viral. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Than it is it's to be so an true. NHL player. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It actually wow. is easier. You're right. So yes. many things. We're giving all these great suggestions to me. Like, forget yes. about the hockey stars. Go for the YouTube stars. <laughs> YouTube and TikTok. <laughs> all right, folks. We'll be right back with the saddest part of the show where we have to say goodbye to Christine. We'll be right back. And we are back, everybody. Um, this is always the saddest part where we have to say goodbye. Christine, it was so nice chatting with you today and learning about your relationship and your journey to parenthood. Thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thank you for letting me live out my podcast dreams. Um, I'm an <laughs> avid listener of podcasts, and now I can say I've been a part of one amazing one. So thank you both very much. Oh, Thank you. Thank you, Christine. We had a really great time. So for our listeners, as usual, you can catch us every Wednesday. Uh, new episodes drop at noon Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a question for us, or if you just want to say, hey, send us an email at mixedmotherhoodpod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram. We're trying to be really good about posting on there. So definitely follow us on Instagram. It's mixedmotherhoodpod on Instagram and we will see you again next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Mixed Motherhood Pod is written and produced by Nanai Belanger and Kudzai Chimanikire. 
All musical credits belong to Epidemic Sound. Follow us on all platforms at Mixed Motherhood Pod. See you next time.